you know, our boys are really perceptive. They're watching and they're seeing that, oh, girls don't get in trouble for things that I do. Girls can be talking, but I get in trouble for it. The girls are chosen for the star students and boys aren't. And that they're being subtly given this message from an early age that you're too, you're too much, you're too noisy, you're too active, you know, just sit still, listen and learn. Welcome to Tilt Parenting, a podcast featuring interviews and conversations aimed at inspiring, informing and supporting parents raising differently wired kids. I'm your host, Debbie Reber. This week, I'm talking with speaker, author, educator, and family coach, Janet Allison, about the emotional lives of boys. Janet is the founder of Boys Alive and the co-host of the podcast On Boys, and for more than 20 years has been on a mission to empower parents and teachers to raise boys to be more confident, caring, and capable men. In our conversation, we talk about the ways that learning, communication, and emotional expression might be different for boys, why schools are failing boys, and what you can do to meet your boys' deeply human need for connection. And just a note, while our discussion largely centers around and relies on binary gender norms, we also discuss how our expanding understanding of gender identity is showing up in her work. Thank you so much. And now here is my conversation with Janet Allison. Hey, Janet, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Debbie. So good to be here. It's fun to have you on my show. I've been on your show. Um, Maybe take a few minutes and tell us about your work in the world and, and your podcast. Absolutely. Well, our show is on boys and I co-host that with Jennifer Fink of Building Boys and I Am Boys Alive have been for about 20 years. Started with, uh, I was a teacher and I had 10 boys and two girls in my first first grade and did not have a clue because I raised daughters. Mm -hmm. And so here were all these boys that were very active, very creative. I put that in air quotes, very busy. And I was scrambling to understand what they needed because nowhere in my training, in my university degree, nobody talked about how different boys would be in the classroom than girls. This was the mid nineties. And all the focus at that time was on girls Mm -hmm. and equity in sports and all of those things. And our boys were getting lost and left behind. And so I got really curious and did a lot of uh, looking into who was talking about boys at that time. There were not very many people Mm -hmm. talking about boys, Uh, curious about brain differences, curious about communication styles, learning styles, and all of that kind of just funneled me into Boys Alive. And I'm a family coach and an author and a podcaster like you. And, you know, it's interesting how how the events in our lives mm-hmm. push us in certain directions. We've had the conversation about Asher and, and you taking up this work. And I have just been thrilled, especially with the podcast, mm-hmm. to be able to interview experts and authors and thought leaders and bring the awareness that our boys are different Mm -hmm. in the way so often many of my family coaching clients are moms who were raised with sisters 
who were raised with a single mom. And now all of a sudden, here are these boys that are presenting them with lots of puzzles to solve. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I love that story. It brought up so many things for me. First of all, you may know this, but I used to be a teen girl expert. So before I had a child, I spent 15 years writing nonfiction, self-confidence, self-esteem books for teen girls. I volunteered with teen girls like that. I spoke at girls conferences. I was all about girl empowerment. And when I discovered I was having a son, I I remember being, first of all, shocked. I was like, can you check that again? And and (laughs) one of the first things I said to my husband was, I'm going to have to do a lot of work around my own baggage surrounding boys and what I know about boys because being so pro-girl and in that space, I was like, I got some work to do. And then I also kind of got excited about, wait a minute, this is an opportunity to really lean into raising a respectful man. And Mm -hmm. we need men who grow up as feminists and, you know, and, and who live fully, you know, emotional lives. And so I love the work that you're doing and I love Mm -hmm. how you came to it. It's fascinating. Well, and I, I, I was thinking about the work you're doing and differently wired. And I think, you know, when we can back up from that and I, I feel like this is, this understanding is bedrock. And when we understand, oh, we have, of course, we look at the world through a female lens as moms, as women, when we can recognize that, that we do that and step away from the expectation that our boys are going to want to talk to us like our girls do. And they're going to want to have those deep, meaningful conversations. And when we recognize, oh, you know, they're just as sensitive, they're just as desirous of connection, but it it comes in a little different package. Mm-hmm. And when we can understand what that package is, which is very active, which is, I don't want to sit and look you in the eye and have a long, deep, meaningful conversation with you. But if we're out tossing a ball or we're on a walk, I am going to communicate with you. But if we can step away from that, that our female perception, and I know you've got dads listening too. So part of this too is understanding how you relate to the men in your life because mm-hmm. it's all it's all the same. Mm-hmm. And is it every boy? Is it every man? No, absolutely not. You know, it's it's tendencies. And so it just adds to our repertoire of being able to connect with another human being. Mm-hmm. So I have just this focus group sample of one in my home, you know, I've got a teenage son. So I would love to hear from you. What is really going on with the emotional lives of boys? Because in my world, the boys that I know or that are friends with my son are super in touch with, you know, they have really high emotional IQ. And Mm -hmm. I also know that their parents are working really hard to support that. But if I, we zoom out and look Mm -hmm. generally, um, Mm -hmm. what is going on with the emotional lives of boys right now? Yeah, I think it is changing a cultural perception that because boys don't talk, they don't feel and they do and they do. And they may just not be able to express it in the way that we would, again, as females imagine they express it. So we have to be super, you know, get our radar, our antenna up Mm -hmm. and be really aware and For boys, there's a lot around shame and embarrassment. 
and putting boys on the spot. There's a lot around. I, I just always go back to this mom who told me that her first grader, her seven-year-old boy came home from school one day and said, mom, all the girls are perfect and I'm the bad one. Hmm. And so here's a little boy that from probably preschool, kindergarten, first grade, for sure, has had female teachers. And, you know, our boys are really perceptive. They're watching and they're seeing that, oh, girls don't get in trouble for things that I do. Mm -hmm. Girls can be talking, but I get in trouble for it. The girls are chosen for the star students and boys aren't. And that they're being subtly given this message from an early age that you're too, you're too much, you're too noisy, you're too active, you know, just sit still, listen and learn is what we often wish for. And hey, I was there as a teacher, like, can you just, I've got this brilliant lesson, just sit still, just listen. And it doesn't, that is not how boys typically operate in the world. Mm -hmm. And so it's a willingness to observe and to listen. And part of it is, are you ready to listen when they're ready to talk? And especially with teens, you know, their, their biology is their biological clock is shifting. They're up later at night and way more active. I was working with a family recently who the 14 year old boy and the dad wanted him to converse and do it in the morning. Cause that's when the dad was ready to talk. And then the mom was there going, yeah, but you know, he really lights up at around nine o'clock at night. Mm -hmm. And then that's when he opens up. That's when he's ready to talk. Mm -hmm. So it's not on our time frame as parents. We have to be aware of, oh, this is okay. You're going to have to stay up a little later, mom and dad. So you can access that time when your boy is ready to open up, is mm -hmm. ready to share. Yeah, that happens at about quarter of midnight in my house. Uh-huh. Yeah. I, yeah. Most times I'm okay with that. Mm -hmm. And other times I'm just like, you know, we're going to have yeah. to put a pin in this for now because <laughs> I'm going to bed. But yes. So I have all these like questions and I'm, I don't want to go off in a whole other direction. But also I find it so interesting that, you know, you're describing classrooms and a culture around our kids in school that really isn't designed to to embrace perhaps what is a more natural way of being for boys than girls. And, and just as a caveat, we are talking about gender identity, which is also, there's a lot of fluidity there. So I just want to say that for listeners who are like, my child doesn't fit in either bucket. And I do want to touch upon that as well. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. But so we've got these kids growing up, these boys who, who are, are, their needs are not being met necessarily in schools. They are, they get in trouble more. They're, they're perceived as being more disruptive. And yet, um, yeah, culturally, um, they, especially as a white man, but, but, but men, uh, have a lot more doors open to them, um, at least historically. They do. And, and it's the doors that are the outward doors. And so they're the achievers and, and boys will typically overestimate their achieve their ability to achieve. They'll overestimate what grade they're going to get on a test. Why? I, I don't have an answer for that, but they do. And I think historically, you know, it's been the role of women and the role of men. And, and so there's that piece, but I, I look at 
the men and especially, you know, the Me Too movement. And we have a lot of angry adult men. Mm-hmm. And I trace it back to this place where their full selves are not being met. Mm-hmm. They're being um, prodded and directed to go, you know, to achieve, go to law school, do the thing. And then we have angry men who, because they're sensitive side, their emotional side hasn't been nurtured, hasn't been grown. Mm -hmm. We have this imbalance Mm -hmm. as adults and Mm -hmm. that doesn't go well for anyone. Mm -hmm. And often it's the men who are achieving outwardly that are suffering inwardly or their families are suffering. Mm -hmm. Their spouse is suffering because, oh, he won't talk to me. We are not connected. Mm -hmm. We're going through the motions. Mm -hmm. And so it's, it's a big question without easy answers. It also underscores the importance of doing this work. And I know that you are considered a boys and anger expert. Like that is Mm -hmm. a real focus of your work. So can you talk a little bit more about that? Why anger seems to be the go-to emotion for boys? Mm -hmm. Again, not all boys. I don't exactly. Want to, Always. But, but Not for, all. For, for many boys. For many. And we'll say anger and big emotions. Let's, you know, there might be the attitude of a 14 year old, the slamming doors, the, the withdrawal, silent treatment, all of that. So it's not just anger, um, rage, although it is that too, but it's tantrums. And part of it is again, this cultural message of boys don't cry, boys don't feel, And then you overlay that with just simply understanding a boy's nature, which is to be physical first. What do we do as parents? Use your words, use your words. Well, he can't get to his words until he's moved his body. So a boy's brain is in motion when his body is in motion. Those are together. And if his body isn't moving, his brain cannot move. His brain cannot find the words that you're standing over him telling him to find. And so getting comfortable with large expressions of anger, of emotion, you know, flat out pounding fists on the floor, fists through the wall. Not that we're encouraging that, but we need to recognize that our boys, especially because they are so physical, need an outlet. They need to be able to you know, punch a punching bag to pound that pillow, to run around the block and get that out of their bodies before we try to sit down and have the conversation about, well, why did you hit your brother? And it's not okay. We have to let them get those feelings out of their bodies Mm -hmm. first and then address the emotional piece, the, the feelings and the how to do it differently the next time. But until we can be comfortable as parents, because it's not comfortable, it's Mm -hmm. scary, especially Mm -hmm. when your boy gets bigger than you. It's really scary. So getting comfortable with that, sitting with them in their anger is an important first step Mm -hmm. that we often try to like, stop it, make it Mm -hmm. stop, which just, as we know, just pushes it down further, not healthy. Right. Yeah. And, you know, I've said this in other conversations on the show, but for me personally, I grew up in a, 
in a family culture where anger was not an okay emotion to feel. And so that is work I have had to do internally is, is learn, as you said, sitting in that uh, anger, getting comfortable with it. Because my, you know, kind of knee jerk reaction to anger has always been to immediately just want to shut it down because I just, it feels out of control. It makes me feel threatened. You know, it just kind of triggers me in so many ways. And Mm so I'm a bad parent. What's wrong with me? What's wrong with my kid? All of those things come up with anger. And yet, if you can level it with all the other emotions, because it's just another, it's just Mm -hmm. more energy just happens to be loaded with, as you said, how is anger handled in your family? Mm-hmm. My family, uh-uh, we did not have anger. You do not, mm-mm, yeah. total silence. Right. Yeah. We'll be right back after this quick break. If you listen to the show, you probably know that at least one in five children is differently wired. But did you know that approximately one in two women will experience hair thinning? If you're part of that 50%, you are absolutely not alone. But because hair thinning for women isn't something people openly talk about, going through it can feel lonely and frustrating. So why not do something about it with Nutrafol? Nutrafol is the number one dermatologist recommended hair growth supplement with over 1 million people seeing thicker, stronger, faster growing hair with less shedding. Everyone's root causes of hair thinning are different. So a one size fits all approach to hair growth isn't going to cut it. Nutrafol has multiple formulas tailored to give your hair what it needs to grow throughout different stages, postpartum, menopause, even for different lifestyles like a plant-based diet. To get your personalized hair health plan based on your specific root causes, you can take a simple hair wellness quiz on Nutrafol.com. And because there's no prescription required, you can quickly get set up online with free shipping and automated deliveries, which make it so much easier to stick with your new hair care routine. See results in three to six months. Take the first step to visibly thicker, healthier hair. For a limited time, Nutrafol is offering our listeners $10 off your first month's subscription and free shipping when you go to Nutrafol.com and enter the promo code TILT. Find out why over 4,500 healthcare professionals and hairstylists recommend Nutrafol for healthier hair. Nutrafol.com spelled N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L.com promo code TILT. That's Nutrafol.com promo code TILT. This year, I've been working on becoming more attuned to my body, and so I'm starting to really recognize how periodic spikes in anxiety or disruptions to my routines can seriously throw my whole system off. And as I've been traveling a ton this past month, which is both disruptive and somewhat stressful, I'm especially glad that I have the extra support of Symbiotic Plus, a three-in-one supplement from Ritual with clinically studied prebiotics, probiotics, and a postbiotic to support a balanced gut microbiome. Symbiotic Plus provides fuel to the cells that make up the gut lining to support a healthy gut barrier. And it comes in this very cool minty delayed release capsule, which was specifically designed to help survive the harsh conditions of the upper GI tract for delivery to the colon. The bonus is that the capsules don't need to be refrigerated, so I can easily bring them with me in my carry-on. On a personal level, I love that Ritual is committed to sustainability. They're a female-founded B Corp, meaning they are holding themselves accountable long-term to not only think about their company's financial health, but also the health of people and our planet. There's no more shame in your gut game. Symbiotic Plus and Ritual are here to celebrate, not hide your insides. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com tilt. Start Ritual or add Symbiotic Plus to your subscription today. 
That's ritual.com slash tilt for 25% off. So what about differently wired boys specifically? So, um, you know, the way you're describing the fact that boys generally need to move their bodies um, first, that physical expression, you know, that makes me think of, you know, kids who have ADHD and who, who are more physical and, and movement is part of how they regulate or kind of process. But um, what have you seen in your work in terms of maybe just broadly the emotional lives, inner lives of boys? And are there more challenges for differently wired uh, boys? Or are there, there are some things that are actually more accessible because uh, a boy is differently wired? Well, I think this is where you and I put our brains together and our expertise together, because mm-hmm. I feel like, you know, my area of knowledge is boys in general, males, male tendencies. And again, you know, not everybody. And when, again, this is when we understand boys at a fundamental level of, oh, they need to move their bodies. When we have realistic expectations for our boys, I mean, science tells us that they don't typically have as many words as early as girls. If we know how to connect with them in a boy-friendly way, which is not expecting as much eye contact, using fewer words because our words overwhelm them and their brains shut down or they get, get squirrely and, ah, this is too much. When we understand these fundamental concepts about how to relate to boys, then we get to add, it's like, we've got bedrock, we've got that bottom layer of the cake now, and now we can put on the, you know, the flavor in the middle, which is the differently wired. Mm -hmm. And, oh, okay, my boy has this, or my boy has that. And how does that also relate to how he experiences the world and connects with the world. Mm-hmm. And that and that's the beauty of the work that you do of bringing in that informational piece as well. But mm-hmm. fundamentally, he has tendencies that are typical boy mm-hmm. tendencies. So starting there and understanding. And the other piece too, and I'm sure you talk about this as is as moms, as parents, is not taking things personally. Mm-hmm. And it can be so easy to go there. Mm -hmm. And yet when you recognize, oh, he actually, and this goes for men too, he actually doesn't want to look at me when he's talking. I've had, I've done podcast interviews on Zoom and had men, one dad in particular, a stay-at-home dad, didn't look at me for the entire interview. He looked out the window, he looked at his desk. And if I hadn't known what I know about boys and men, I would have been feeling really uncomfortable and like, this is really awkward. He hasn't looked at me. But when I know that, then it's like, oh, actually, he's able to find his words more easily because he's looking out the window and he's not feeling forced that he has to look at me. And so when we know those little things, it's like, oh, wow. That just made that interaction go more easily. So I'm kind of curious to know when you work with families, how do you support families with boys who, especially if if anger is is the predominant um, emotional expression mm-hmm. in their family, how do you help them learn how to kind of manage their that angry energy and also tap into what is really going on with that child? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it is always about 
you know, the anger, that behavior is just the messenger. It's not the thing. Mm -hmm. And so then it's peeling back the layers of what is really going on as a family system. Maybe they're, you know, stressed because dad lost his job or they're in chaos because now they're trying to do online school and work from home and all the things. So we always look at the bigger picture and try to sift it down because it's not actually the child. Mm -hmm. It's the parents that are the, uh, the ones that can make the changes that need to happen in the environment and also in a lot of it is the perspective of the parent, the expectation of the parents. Mm -hmm. And when those begin to shift and change, I had a dad just recently who he was adamant that his boy take a shower every single morning, because that is how he was raised. Mm -hmm. Being clean was a family value and you take a shower every morning. And the son was rebelling. He did not want to take a shower every morning. He liked his showers in the evening. So then it's like, okay, instead of butting heads about this, let's collaborate and let's get curious about, you know, well, when when is it okay to take a shower? And is dad, you know, can dad kind of loosen up on how he was raised and that perspective a little bit? And so that change has to come from the parent and so much of it is about listening, being curious, asking questions, including a boy's perspective and having him feel like he has a voice in the family. And I hear often that kids don't feel like they have a voice and yeah. especially tweens and teens who are, you know, really taking new interest in the world and they want to share their opinion and they want to know that their voice is heard. And so I really believe in collaborative parenting. We have to collaborate with our kids. They want to have a say, and it's not that they get their way all the time, but they certainly get to have input into the family. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's uh, the shower example that conversations around personal hygiene come up all the time in my community and also around deodorant. I'm like, at a certain point, they may decide they don't want to smell, but that's on them. Like, I'm really hands off with that. But I, I love this um, teen rebelling by um, saying, I'm going to shower at night, not morning. I mean, yeah. We, yeah. our teens have to rebel. So that's pretty um, safe rebellion right there. <laughs> yeah, totally safe when dad can back off. But yeah. they were really butting heads and there was a lot of anger and impatience around mm -hmm. that. And of course, that's going to ripple into other things. And mm -hmm. and to your point about the hygiene, you know, one of the detriments of this pandemic and online learning is our kids are not getting the peer feedback mm -hmm. that they would typically get mm -hmm. of, oh, you know, your breath smells or, oh, you, you haven't showered in five days and mm -hmm. ew. And, you know, coming from parents, that's a little different message than when it comes from your peers and maybe that girl or that guy that you're kind of eyeing. Right. Yeah. And also, to be fair, many of us listening as parents and caregivers, yep. our shower habits are slipping a little bit too because we're yeah, in quarantine. Yeah. Yeah. So. My girls call it marinating. Yeah. I'm just marinating this weekend and that's totally fine. I'm going to borrow and that. <laughs> We'll be right back after this quick break. 
I'm on the road this month and oh man, am I missing my sweet kitties, Haskell and Lua. They've been a part of our family for more than two years and I'm so grateful they're keeping Darren such good company while I'm away. If you're getting a new pet soon, you're probably already thinking about everything you'll need to buy. Food, toys, a cozy bed, doggy bags or litter boxes. Something you may not be thinking about though is pet insurance. That's why you should check out ASPCA Pet Health Insurance. The ASPCA Pet Health Insurance Program offers customizable accident and illness plans, making it easier for pet parents like you to help your pet get the care they may need. The ASPCA Pet Health Insurance Program has been around for over 18 years, and they've helped more than 600,000 pets during that time. They allow you to customize your plan, helping ensure that your pet's plan is as unique as they are, because vet bills can really add up, especially when you're least expecting it. It's simple. Use their app to submit a claim and you'll receive reimbursement for eligible vet bills directly into your bank account. To explore coverage, visit ASPCAPetInsurance.com slash parenting. That's ASPCAPetInsurance.com slash parenting. Again, that's ASPCAPetInsurance.com slash parenting. This is a paid advertisement. Insurance is underwritten by either Independence American Insurance Company or United States Fire Insurance Company and produced by PTZ Insurance Agency Limited. The ASPCA is not an insurer and is not engaged in the business of insurance. Hey there, it's Debbie. I love making this show and sharing conversations about how to support our awesome neurodivergent kids. I've seen how even one little insight from an interview can spark a big shift in daily life. But I know that raising complex kids can be messy and lonely. And just when we think we figured it out, something comes up that boots us right back to feeling overwhelmed and stuck. That's why I've poured everything into creating a way for parents like us navigating complex parenting journeys to join together and chart a path that feels positive, hopeful, and doable. It's the brand new Differently Wired Club experience. In the club, you'll get personal support from me and other seasoned parent coaches, six live calls every month where you can connect and get your personal questions answered, the opportunity to learn directly from authors and experts like I have on this show, monthly themes for getting specific and tactical, an exclusive private podcast feed, and the best, most generous community of parents. Seriously, these folks show up for themselves and each other, and that right there is really everything. Because it's a daily reminder that we're not alone. Our kids aren't broken, and we have totally got this. The recently rebooted Differently Wired Club is on a brand new platform with its very own iOS and Android app. It is such a great space. However you learn, whatever your style, no matter the ages, genders, and neurodivergent profile of your children, the Differently Wired Club can help you cultivate the positive shifts you're hoping for. Join us today by going to tiltparenting.com slash club. That's tiltparenting.com slash club. I hope to see you on the inside. I'm curious to know, I was thinking about some of the common challenges that I hear about in in my community and just kind of in general um, with their kids and um, particularly more um, or possibly more with their sons. So in addition to anger, um, just, you know, having kind of a, a short fuse and then lying comes up a lot too as something that parents really struggle with. Um, a lot of kids with ADHD, lying is a big issue. And so can you say more about that? And then also, how do you support families in dealing with those issues? So, you know, kids will lie. And it, it can be a little humorous and quite because it can be so blatant. And you're like, 
What I mean, I, I'll 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 divulge a story. When I was in third grade, I was learning my times tables, right? And I was not very good at it. And so we had flashcards. And my mom put the flashcards on the wall, like where the ceiling meets the, the wall. So around my room were flashcards. And every night we'd go through the times tables. Well, I thought I would just like if I just wrote the answers on a piece of paper and held them in my hand as my mom is sitting right across from me on the bed, she will never know that I am looking down at the answers. Well, because I thought I was so brilliant, right? Mm-hmm. Wrong. That lasted like 30 seconds. But it's, it's like our kids don't have the cognitive mm-hmm. ability to, to parse mm-hmm. through that, that like, this is going to be really obvious. And so there's that. And part of it, I think for boys is, to be careful not to shame them and that lack of safety. And so part, depending on, you know, the age and the magnitude of the lie, and of course it's going to start young, but if you can treat it as, oh, whoops, did you mean that? Oh, and kind of be light about it rather than punching down because lying, lying triggers us. We think, oh my gosh, my kid's, you know, going to be whatever. And I'm a terrible parent because my child is lying. Lying is a normal stage of development. You have to have a certain stage of cognitive awareness to be able to lie. So it's kind of like if you can step back and go, oh, wow, my kid is growing up. He's lying now (laughs) and know that this too will pass. And of course, as a family value, we, we value honesty and truth. And, and that's just part of the learning. And mm-hmm. so being a little less dramatically reactive when they do lie and, and be a little more light about it is a good approach. Mm-hmm. Um, and recognizing that boys, boys are really aware and attuned to being shamed. And so again, that's this place of, oh, whoops, did you forget about that other part of this? And rather than, oh my gosh, you're, that's mm-hmm. terrible, you're lying. So mm-hmm. to, to lighten up a little bit, recognize it's a developmental stage mm-hmm. and move through it. Yeah. And, and also, you know, as you're talking about shame, you mentioned it earlier too. We know that shame is different from feeling guilty, right? Because shame is more internalized that there's something wrong with me. Like yeah. I am a bad. So that is something we want to be really mindful of with mm-hmm. our kids. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm thinking also, I wrote down the phrase, I don't know. I will say that that was the response to anything that I wasn't supposed to do. And my dad asked me, why did you do that? I would just say, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I imagine that comes up in your, in your world too. But so if we have kids who that is their default response, or there may be just not, you know, we're talking about the emotional lives of boys and how to help them access uh, their, their inner empathy and, you know, just kind of really yeah. have a full emotional life. How do we support boys who, who aren't communicative, who don't naturally go there, who, who say, I don't know for anything. Um, How do we kind of get them to go a little deeper? I'm so glad you brought that up because it's, I don't know, or I don't care, which, Mm -hmm. oh, really gets your hackles up, right? Mm -hmm. And, or just simply, no, no, I don't want to, no, I'm not going to. All those initial reactions. And I always think of those as 
that's the first step to yes. No is the first step to yes. Mm -hmm. And what happens for our boys, because they tend to, again, a tendency, process language a little more slowly than than girls. So they've been asked a question and, and you can check this out with the adult men in your life. You can ask a question and boys know that like, I'm supposed to have an answer right now, but they're still thinking. And so the, the, you know, I got to have a response. So it's, I don't know. I don't care. No initial response. So when we know that our boys actually need a little processing time, our men prefer to have a little processing time, we can build that in. And of course, there's times when, of course, you need an answer right away. But if it's something that, you know, you can give him a heads up, hey, I want to talk with you about the homework assignments that didn't get turned in or whatever. Let's let's check in about that after dinner. And so you give him some time to think. Mm-hmm. Give him a, a point in time that I'm going to check in with you about it then, and then absolutely do that. Mm-hmm. But giving them some space for a teacher in a classroom, it might be, hey, you know, she asks a question, Sam, I'm going to, I want you to think about that. I'm going to come back to you after I talk to, to Tyler over here. So it takes the pressure off, gives them some time to process mm-hmm. and find the words and find the response. Mm-hmm. I love that because I I don't remember who I had on the show. I think it was Brendan Mahan. We were talking about this. Yeah. So Brendan Mahan listeners is a ADHD coach. I can have the link in the show notes page. And we were talking about, you know, again, with kids with ADHD, the processing may look like not paying attention, not having words, you know, just, and, and so we as parents tend to get impatient, like, what are you doing? I asked you to do this or why aren't you, you know, mm-hmm. um, and that was such a good reminder as this is as well to just give them time. Like, yes. you know, we're so impatient with wanting answers or uh, to move forward on something. Mm-hmm. So that's a good reminder. Yeah. Yeah. And along with that, I will say, you know, as parents, we tend to be in the hurry up, hurry up, hurry up. And if we can reframe that for ourselves to the benefit of our kids of oh, you have all the time you need right now to tie your shoes. You have all the time you need right now to gather your things. And even just saying that out loud, like hurry up and tie your, hurry up and get your shoes on versus you have all the time you need Mm -hmm. to get your shoes on right now. Totally different experience. Yeah. It feels different just saying it. So Mm -hmm. I encourage your listeners, like, give it a try. Say it out loud. It's different. And then, so then it resonates. It lands with your kids differently too. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I do want to ask, um, because we know, especially within the differently wired community, um, there is a higher prevalence of kids who are trans or who are have non-binary gender identity. And I'm just wondering, like we've been talking about this from a very male female lens. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I'm wondering if in your work, like how does this generation of kids who there's a lot more fluidity and gender nonconformity, um, what does that look like in the work that you do? Well, you know, I think that you can kind of lift it all out of this conversation of boys over here and girls over here and just look at it as qualities, as characteristics, as tendencies. 
you might have a child who is very talkative and very engaged and very verbal. Okay, that's their tendency. That's their quality. Great. You might have a child who's really an observer and withdrawn and, you know, wants to check things out first. Okay, that's great. So that might be the child that you, you know, need to wait until quarter till midnight to have the conversation with, or it might be the child that opens up when you're on a walk more readily. So it's, it's like, oh, we just opened the the box of all these different ways to be human in the world that isn't my personal operating system. I mean, I love like eye contact and conversation. So that's me. Oh, now I have this whole other understanding of there's people that don't prefer eye contact, that prefer to answer with one or two words and not have the deeper sensory details, emotionally laden conversations. Mm -hmm. And so it just becomes of like, oh, here's a, here's another way of being in the world, Mm -hmm. regardless of their, where they fall Mm -hmm. in the gender Mm -hmm. spectrum. Okay. And I mean, I just think boys, boy, girl is shorthand. I think Mm -hmm. of it as, you know, okay. And probably the largest percentage Mm -hmm. of course Mm -hmm. falls into Mm -hmm. that category. Yeah, but it's it's qualities, it's characteristics, mm-hmm. and ways to to connect. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, all right, and so my last question: um, If you could beam yourself into the home of every parent raising boys, what advice or wisdom? What would you want them to know? What's your most important thing for to be on their mind so they can really support the boy they're raising to to grow up into this? emotionally intelligent, aware, in tune man? The word that comes to mind is listen. Listen with an open mind. Listen with an open heart. And just listen. Mm -hmm. Be curious Mm -hmm. about what he's thinking and feeling. Mm -hmm. That's great. And that's where you started the conversation, how you got into this, because you got really curious about these kids in your class. So I love that. Mm-hmm. I love yeah. That. Yeah. Well, so tell listeners, you, you talked about your podcast at the beginning, um, maybe just let listeners know where they can engage with you and learn more mm-hmm. about your work. Yeah. Come to boysalive.com. I have a really active Facebook group. So just Google boys alive and we'd love to have you join the conversation there at my website, boysalive.com. You can opt in for a free report called your boy and his big emotions, common parenting mistakes and what to do instead. So that'll give you some, some tips on dealing with those big emotions. Yeah. And of course the podcast. Yeah. Yes. And uh, listeners, I will have links to all of that in the show notes page. So you can go check those out. And again, I'll, I'll put a link to the conversation I had with Brandon, as well as the link to the conversation that I had on the on Boys podcast. That's so right. Yes. That out. Um, awesome. Well, thank you so much. It's been really lovely to connect with you and have this conversation. And I really just appreciate you sharing all this with us today. You are so welcome. My pleasure. You've been listening to the Tilt Parenting Podcast. For the show notes for this episode, visit tiltparenting.com slash podcast and search for this conversation. If you like what you heard on today's episode, I would be grateful if you could take a minute to head over to Apple Podcasts and leave a rating or a review. Thank you so much for helping us stay visible so people who would benefit from the show can easily find it. 
If you want to support the show and help me cover the cost of production, please consider joining my Patreon campaign. To support the show, just visit patreon.com slash Tilt Parenting. Lastly, if you aren't already part of the online community at Tilt, I invite you to sign up at tiltparenting.com on the box in the bottom where it says join the revolution. Every Thursday, I send out a short email with a quick note from me, a link to that week's podcast episode, and links to five stories from the news that week that are relevant to parents like us. Again, you can sign up and learn more about Tilt at www.tiltparenting.com. If you're a parent, I invite you to join us at the Mindful Mama podcast, where it's all about becoming a less irritable, more joyful parent. With sometimes hilarious and always thought-provoking experts and friends, at Mindful Mama, we know that you cannot give what you do not have. And when you have calm and peace within, then you can give it to your children. I'm Hunter Clark-Fields, and I can't wait to see you there. Listen in to the Mindful Mama podcast.